I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Events over the past year have shone a light on racial inequality across the globe. Australia is no exception. This nation's journey towards a more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind, and in a spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. I ask the Prime Minister, how good is Australia? Please explain. I'm here to make a public statement. Australia is back on track. I actually find it gobsmacking. Just dumbstruck. I'm going to shirt front, Mr Putin. I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. I don't think I know. I have no hesitation. That should cause great concern. Just sit down. It's sick of your eyes. You're a classic space invader. A social climbing sycophant. He needs a mirror. I mean... <laughs> Fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Taste of democracy, very good. G'day, Mark Kenny here with Democracy Sausage, which, as you know, comes each week from the Australian National University. I'm myself from the Australian Studies Institute at ANU, uh, and we produce this podcast with the support of the Crawford School of Public Policy, Policy Forum, and uh, and with countless others who who contribute to it, and it's a great pleasure to bring it to you. And can I just say, it's uh, a little bit of an apology from me for last week. Uh, circumstances beyond our control made it uh, impossible to bring a, 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 an episode out last week. Although it was somewhat gratifying, just the sheer number of people who got in touch with me via different means to say, where the hell is democracy sausage? It uh, it um, reminded me just of the, the service we provide, and I'm really um, thankful for people's uh, loyalty and enthusiasm for for this podcast because uh, you know it means a lot to us too. Uh, now, obviously, this week has been dominated by the federal budget, and I spent yesterday, which also happened to be my birthday, in the federal budget lockup. Been doing that for a long time, as has Peter Martin, who's with us, and I'll come to him in just a moment because we're going to be talking uh, about the budget. I guess in general terms, you know, the politics of it, the atmosphere, the the, the macro uh, economic situation that we face in which this uh, budget has been framed. So let's uh, let's go to that. Uh, first, uh, I'll introduce Dr. Jenny Gordon. She's an honorary professor at the Centre for Social Research and Methods here at ANU and a non-resident fellow at the Lowy Institute. She's got a very storied career as an economist. She's been chief economist at DFAT, and she spent, I think, about a decade, Jenny, at the Productivity Commission as principal advisor and research there. That's true. Welcome to you. This is the first time having you on Democracy Sausage. It's been too long. It's uh, it's a real pleasure to be here, and yes, I too missed last week's episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's Are good. you a listener? I am a listener indeed. That's good. And uh, that other voice that, that will be familiar to you is Peter Martin. He's the business and economics editor. Is that the correct title? Uh, the business convers- and economy editor. I don't right. know why they call it that at the conversation. Yes, that's right. And, of course, a former colleague of mine at Fairfax before we were both uh, uh, in the roles that we are in now. Um, and you were economics editor at The Age for a long time. Uh, and in, economics in- correspondent for ABC Radio. So I've been in budget lockups for um, – yeah, you've well, done more than me. Somewhere between three and four decades. Wow, that I've, is. That's, that's, I've, I've seen a few. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of about, well, at the, out, at the outside, that's close to twice as many as me. Uh, I think that might have been my 20th or it could have been 19th. Um, so, yes, it's a, it's a particular experience and it's changed a bit, hasn't it, uh, in the sense that we used to, I, I mean, I know this is sort of boring inside baseball stuff in a way, but most people won't know what the budget lockup is like. Um, and the idea is well, it used to be secret. In fact, you, you used to not be able to tell people. It was like it was Fight Club. Fight Club, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's true uh, because um, 
budget measures, and they were beer and cigs. Yeah, beer and cigs were up always. The government can hit beer up, cigs up, right? And uh, because people could make money from knowledge of what was inside the budget, the details weren't to be released till 7.30, which, of course, doesn't work for newspapers and so on because they need to read it beforehand. So they, uh, they locked them up. They couldn't talk about it. Um, yeah, we, we, we've seen. Can I just say we've seen yeah. we've seen sort of mini lockups for some big complex announcements well, there was in the one, past. Yeah. Like like for the net, you know, the National Energy Guarantee. There was one. I think there was one in relation one to the One for the Henry NBN, Tax Review. The Henry too. Tax Review. So the, the the basic. Just before you go further, just the basic principle though is is fairly simple, isn't it? It's like here is a very complex document with a lot of details that needs some explaining. And we're prepared, we're going to release it at this time, but we're prepared to give you a look at it and answer some questions about it first so that when you do report it, you have a- Because otherwise you report it badly. If you yeah. have to, particularly now or yeah. on radio in early days, if you have to at 7.30 say what's in it and you've only just seen it at 7.30, mm. you're going to do a bad job. Yeah. One-year Treasurer Karen- Or an unfavourable job, which is their biggest, yeah. biggest fear. Uh, well, yeah, that's right. One-year uh, Karen uh, was the Treasurer, uh, 91. Mm-hmm. John it was Karen, 91, yeah. John Curran, um, he uh, decided that this budget lockup was all, you know, just designed to make it look important. And it moved on from beer and cigs. It became the dollar. So is it going to influence the dollar, mm. you know, the size of the deficit and so on? But he decided that was all silly. The dollar was going to move where it was anyway. So he just one afternoon, you know, he said, it's budget afternoon. Anyone who wants the um, – the documents can just pick them up from pigeonholes. There are boxes yeah, in the press yeah. gallery in Parliament House. And he had a protest. He had a delegation of journalists who went to him <laughs> and said, we demand a lockup. So because, you know, that they were to face that difficulty of uh, needing to, you know, accurately report to people. And so he uh, introduced and, a mini lockup. And, and to that do year. so, and so that you could do a conscientious job of it without being completely scooped by someone who isn't. You yeah, know what well, I mean? Because that's what just, could happen. I mean, you're sitting there trying to understand it, trying to understand its its projections in relation to unemployment or growth or whatever it might be, and someone else has just found something on page 122 yeah. and just sort of- What it's become is an open book exam, um, exactly like those exams. Uh, I, I did a public service entrance exam at the uh, Wavell Hall at the uh, Adelaide Showgrounds, and uh, rows and rows and rows of people, and they're given like two hours to go through this, basically their sort of uh, aptitude intelligence tests. And you're all sort of frightened, and you're particularly frightened if someone gets up to leave the room because you think that person's either really dumb or, or really, really smart. <laughs> and that's actually how it is in in the lockup because you get worried when someone gets up. So. You're, it's like an open book exam because you're allowed to take in reference materials, previous mm. budgets. You're allowed to cheat. You're allowed to talk to you're competitors. You're allowed to talk to each other. Yeah. 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 Although and a bit of that goes we're on. often a, a bit too busy to do that. That's right. And you are terrified because by 7.30, the newspapers basically press print yes. on everything that's there. If you don't have it ready by then, it needs to be ready earlier. Someone mm. needs to edit it. Put it on it, the page and so forth. It was one year, uh, I, you know, I told them in advance what the articles would be and uh, it was 5.30 and uh, so I don't think I'll do that second one. They said, no, you've got to. We've drawn the cartoon. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's anyway, right. So yeah. It's uh, yes, inside baseball, as you say. What's in the budget is more important. And I've had a few of them say to me, "I hope you mentioned such and such." And I say, "Why the heck? Because that's the photo accompanying the piece." And if yes, you haven't exactly, mentioned the finance yeah. minister, you've got to get the finance minister in the in the copy. But but I think uh, Jenny, the um, you haven't had this particular experience, but um, the the real fear for it's a real sort of downside risk, I think, for the journos because. It is this big wad of documents. There's you know several books and lots of lots of detail in there, and so that when I say downside risk, the risk is that you will miss something. It's, there's a relatively low likelihood that you're going to find something that no one else finds. It has happened, um, but you know, like and particularly if there's a big accounting error in there or an assumption that's just absolutely cockamamie or whatever, but. It's um yeah it's uh, it's the stress of the day I think is that you are as Peter intimated you're very time poor you don't really have a lot of time to confer with anyone uh, and you've got to get across a lot of information and the downside risk is that you might miss something that's really key out of your coverage especially if you're you know one of the really senior coros and it's actually important that you cover it uh, that's the risk yeah that would be a major risk actually mm. but I, but you know I think but you this don't. last budget. You know, so much of it was telegraphed beforehand. So you wonder how much is left for discovery 
in the in the actual lockup. So mm. really, you're looking for the bit that hasn't been yeah, that's well true. and truly telegraphed beforehand. And I can imagine that could be quite challenging. That's true, and that's a really interesting point because, in a way, that's a kind of a perverse outcome of it that you almost have people sort of going 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 through it with a fine tooth comb, trying to find that thing that might might be an unfavourable thing to the government that hasn't been announced, and sort of making more of it than than maybe it would ordinarily be made of because all the other stuff's been reported two or three or five days before the budgets come out. I, I try and get an idea of uh, I don't so much look for measures because um, it's more another reporter who does that. Yeah. Oh, hello, Mark. <laughs> no, <laughs> in well, in I, earlier I, days, right? Well, I didn't so. do measures either, really. I mean, I would sort of look yeah. at the overall philosophy of the yeah. thing. But. So, so I, I sort of try and look at the, the financial shape of things. There's a particularly good graph we put in. The financial shape is that um, – uh, the budget position changes, maybe because of the iron ore price, mm. maybe because uh, the economy is good. There aren't as many uh, people on unemployment benefits, more of them are paying tax. We call right? these parameter changes, yeah, right? That's, that's, that's what they call them. Um, and then you've got to look at what the budget does after that. There's a helpful table that uh, does that. We turn it into a graph. If you look at the last budget and most of those that went before it, look at the budget in March, uh, Josh Frydenberg's uh, pre-election budget, he had a whole lot of extra money came in. We had high commodity prices then, at least they were high for the time, um, and uh, unemployment falling. Uh, so he had, you know, had a lot of money to play with. And uh, he spent... About a half of it. Um, so forty billion coming in over four years. He spent about a half of it on all sorts of things, including um, subsidising the price of petrol and uh, things like that. This budget is uh, very unusual in that hardly any of that has been spent. Fifty-two billion has come in over the the four-year period that they look at. They've spent what is it? Uh, Nine billion of that, nine point eight billion, but of that, most of it, uh, seven billion, uh, was uh, measures to do with the floods, emergency measures. Right. So, in a sense, uh, what they've decided to do, and uh, Chalmers on Wednesday, the treasurer gave an address at the press club, where he said, "This is uh, the post budget uh, yeah, the, address, the traditional to the press address, club, yeah. where where he said uh, that uh, his people can't." Think of a, a previous budget which has actually um, given away so little of what's come in. Now, the reason he did that is because, uh, well, it's because of Liz Truss, I guess. It, yeah, it, yeah. Because <laughs> it, it, a point what, I've made myself, yeah. What they're doing in the UK is, is they're, they're raising interest rates, the uh, central bank, Bank of England, hugely. And uh, if you work against that and the Reserve Bank here is determined to do it, to stop people spending. They're just going to do it more. And conscious of that, I suppose terrified really of uh, not wanting, certainly wanting inflation to come down, not wanting to add to it, not wanting to make the Reserve Bank's job harder. He's had to, yes, he's implemented every election promise, uh, tick, 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 paid for them by removing coalition measures in the, most of them haven't started yet. <laughs> They're announced in March. Um, but beyond that, the things that should be done, the things that he would like to do, increasing job seeker, uh, helping people with enormous increases in the price of electricity and gas, mm. he's just unable to do. And that, 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 that's yeah, what he said. that's right. So I, that, that's I think true, that's a really sensible way of going about doing things because the hardest thing to do is turn off the tap. You know, so you saw the easiest pressure. time to do it, though. Well, it is, but, Just then, after an but then you know it's hard to turn it off later. And so already you've had, you know, being pushed to reverse the uh, the the going back on the petrol excise, being pushed to sort mm. of maintain the low income tax. Yeah, so they kept that cut on the excise, didn't they? They kept those in there as cost saving measures because if you look in the outer years. Things get really ugly in the budget. So this is an unusual budget, and normally you kind of push push stuff to the the future. Um, and they've left the tax cuts in there, which means that, you know, the budget in the future is looking grimmer. And so that's actually one of the key stories in this is like, if you get a windfall, bank it. 
don't spend it. Yeah. And particularly don't spend it in a time of inflation. So I'm entirely in agreement with you there. But I think one of the really interesting things for me is always what are Treasury putting in there as assumptions about the rate of growth in the future and what's that going to look like and how quickly do they think inflation is going to come down. And, and they were pretty depressed. So, you know, they've got 1.5% for 2023 in terms of um, the rate growth. of economic growth. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that they've not got real wage growth built in until that, That's 3.5% you know, down. Yeah, so 3.5% growth currently down to 1.5% growth next year based on all of these external volatilities. That's right. Um, it's, it's dangerously close to, to, uh, to stalling. To that word that starts with an R. It is, yeah. it is. Yeah. And- uh, and and that's quite uh, quite interesting because this, this this budget cuts in a number of different directions. We have, for example, a a, a better than halved deficit announced in this due to uh, largely due to commodity prices, which is really war dividends in in, in many ways. Um, also higher employment. We've got um, very low unemployment, three point five percent. And that's led, of course, to better receipts for for the government in terms of income tax, personal taxes, and so it's. That that's that's on you know that's the budget itself looking quite good, but the economy outside of the budget into which the budget operates is is sort of heading in the other direction. We may even have a situation. I've heard this point made. We may even have a situation where the budget action, budget deficit is wiped out completely. Someone told me that mm. uh, with roughly every three months of commodity prices at their current rate, that's another ten billion dollars in in uh, extra revenue coming into the coffers. Now, that would pretty much account for the 36.9% projected deficit. But so, on the other hand- But on the other hand- You've then got you interest go to the rates going up, right? Yeah. And so you've still got a service. And so the fastest growing item in the budget is actually the interest payments on the debt. So yeah. if as long as interest rates keep going up, that gets worse and worse. Jenny, can and you part answer? of that is the term structure of our-, our um, Borrowing, so the extent to which it's sort of long dated, which means the interest rate they don't have to turn it over quickly. Right, but you have a lot of debt still coming due, and they have to roll that over fixed in the market. Rates, fixed low rates, rates low rates, and are expire. replaced by high rates. That's right, and so when they have to borrow, go to the market to borrow again to roll over the existing debt, they have to pay higher interest rates on it, and so it's that term structure of the debt that matters as well. And this is sort of depth of analysis the Treasury has to kind of keep going into. Jenny, can, you, can you answer Mark? Can you Mark raised a point, and I think you can settle it for me. Um, we have these two things that make no sense uh, when taken together. One is we're talking about getting nearer a recession, the economy stalling. After all, that's what's happening overseas. And yet at the same time, people are spending like never before. And, uh, you know, right at the moment, anyone statistically, not de- depends on the individual and where you are and so on, but statistically, Anyone who wants a job can get one because there are about as many vacancies as people. In one sense, the economy has never been better. It's never been more full throttle that I can remember. In the other sense, people are talking about a recession. Can you make sense of this as a former government chief economist? (laughs) Well, it actually is, you know, one of these tricky ones and it's all to do with expectations, right? So people think things are going to get worse. So it's a make hay while the sun shines. I was wondering whether I was going to hear five minutes of economic sunshine. You remember John Howard's? Yeah, that idea, you know. So, and and also people, you got, you got (laughs) a lot of people couldn't spend during the um, COVID lockdowns. And so, you know, they couldn't spend, you know, Transport was clogged up. There were bottlenecks. You couldn't buy new cars because there's a chip shortage internationally. You know, transport costs were higher. You couldn't actually even import the stuff, you know, and now you can again, though cars are slowly coming online. Um, and so you've got this sort of built up demand. But if people have, and this is what's so dangerous that the central bank is really worried about, is if you have expectations of higher inflation, you might decide to spend your savings now before the prices go up further. I don't think that's happening yet, do you? I, I think this there is this whether it's a bring forward of spending or spending the surplus that people have generated. Because remember household savings went up through the roof, right? Household savings are now down again. Right. But they're spending that pent up savings. So the question is, has their inflation, are they expecting prices to go up faster in, in the future? So instead of sort of holding off, I think people are feeling confident about keeping their jobs. 
All right, well, let, it's let, an interesting question. It is an interesting question, and we will go further into it in just a moment. We'll take a quick break and be back directly. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Sharon Bessel. Policy Forum Pod is the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. Each week we bring together expert analysis to tackle the big issues facing our region and to propose policy solutions. It's insightful, it's positive and it's always fun. Policy Forum Pod is out every Friday. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your pods. Or find us at policyforum.net slash podcasts. Welcome back. Now let's go back to that point you were raising, uh, Jenny, about uh, uh you know the habits of people, uh, pent up demand. What the sort of psychology of of consumers? Because Peter had a perplexed look on his face uh, when I was talking. When I was kind of raising this twin track situation, and yeah, that's why I um, wanted Jenny to sort it out. These yeah. things do not seem to make sense. A recession mentality or um, uh, fear on one hand, and people spending like you wouldn't believe on the other. Yeah. But is it a temporal uh, mismatch in the sense that we actually do have just five minutes of economic sunshine for reasons that you were talking about and because the situation in the world could get worse and, um, you know, we, we see these projections for, you know, for lower growth, for, for unemployment to tick up, that, that the inflationary genie is out of the bottle or it feels like it is and governments all around the place are, you know, taking a lot of, going putting a lot into trying to tame this inflation. So that means, you know, Grinding, grinding the economy down, bringing it, slowing it right down. Perhaps not into recession, ideally, but who knows? I mean, it's such an inexact science because of all these different moving parts, and as you say, psychology as well. Yeah, and that's the challenge for economics: is that expectations really matter. And so, trying to understand what people are expecting in the future, and and do they feel that there's job insecurity? In which case, that they save more, but they might be feeling now quite secure in their jobs because unemployment's been so low. Mm. People's, you know, we economists build models around rational expectations, but guess what? The, the expectations aren't generally rational, so a lot of our models don't work very well because we get that wrong. Um, and so, I think this is is, is a temporal thing. I am very worried about that 1.5% because I think sort of mm. the 1.5% growth rate projected projections growth. for the yeah. Treasury. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, one, that it's stuck saying, out to me too. It's saying commodity prices are going to drop. That's going to be a big part of it because remember this is GDP. No, but right? can I just stop you there because that's an interesting point. Um, is it the case that, I mean, Treasury is always counselling that uh, we shouldn't rely on high commodity prices. We should. Yeah, rely- one day it'll be right. Every budget it says that. <laughs> yeah, so they're about right. to come down. Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, but um, but nonetheless, the, the sort of argument is that it's prudent to rely on the long term average price for these things rather than these demand spikes. And we certainly see, uh, you know, reasons for the commodity price spike at the moment. Uh, you know, the, the the Ukraine war in particular. Um, so is isn't is that part of that one point five percent? It's well, the IMF has um, downgraded all their uh, growth forecasts. They've been chasing them down at each period for quite some time. Right. So they're expecting this big bounce after COVID and lockdowns were over. Well, one China continues to lock down. Yes. And so China's growth is still much much lower than expected. It is a, an engine of growth, like the way the US is an engine of growth. Um, and so you can sort of see that uh, you know that those when the US slows because of aggressive monetary policy tightening in the US, even though there's still quite a lot of stimulatory spending going on in the US. Um, that then you get contagion. So other countries start slowing down. Europe is not looking very healthy at all because they're facing massive rise in energy prices this this winter and potentially higher energy prices next winter. They think it's actually going to be worse next year. So it's going to be a while before Europe kind of is seen to boom. And so you've got the uh, you know the IMF putting growth down in uh, 
2023 to 2.7, but they've got a 25% chance of a sub 2% global growth rate. Mm. That's regarded um, as a recession, isn't it? A worldwide pretty recession much a worldwide, is sub, regarded, yeah. sub 2% is what you Some people are define. going backwards pretty fast because you've got some just with population growth that are that are ticking and, and on. If you're trying to think of the reasons why this would happen uh, internationally, uh, different countries are different. It's largely because, certainly in the case of the countries we compare ourselves with, they're pushing up interest rates in order to try and tame inflation. And yeah. China's got it slowing its economy but if for different also, reasons. Yeah, they've also got demographic challenges. So they've got aging populations and so their workforces aren't growing nearly as fast as they were growing before. So that's on the labor side. They've got uh, the reallocation, they've got budget deficit and debt problems. So sort of overhangs you know, from all so of the spending. So you've got all the overhangs yeah. from all the spending that need to be unwound. They're facing higher interest rates as well because they've got to service those debts. And then there's Natural the issues disasters. around in the um the natural disasters, big costs of those. And then in the emerging markets, particularly some of the lower income developing economies are facing almost unsustainable debt burdens. And so in that increasing share of those countries are moving into the potential for debt default. And we don't see international cooperation plans on resolving those problems. Those things are highly disruptive. And we know that food insecurity leads to you know, political insecurity. And the call on the developed economies for Ukraine's reconstruction, just for the war in Ukraine. The open-ended war. You know, you look at Sri Lanka, the crisis it's in, you know, and there's only so much that those multilateral institutions can do to, to raise money. And so you can sort of see the calls on the developed economies to try and stop crises happening elsewhere. And it's in our interest to do so because, you know, when countries have you know, major political crises, the flows of refugees go up dramatically. And yeah, so good point. the US is a bit more isolated from that, but Europe is really vulnerable to that. And quite frankly, Australia is pretty vulnerable to it too. So there's, you know, so there's lots of different factors that are going to come into play that really worry the IMF and the World Bank and worry us. And so there's scope for lots of downside because we don't act to support places and we know that you know, internal civil strife and the like completely undermines growth in those countries. Is this government, you might have had a chance to look at this part of the budget because it's your key interest. Has this government uh, shown its concern for supporting less developed countries, uh, Pacific uh, countries and Asian countries in a way that wasn't the case earlier? Well, there's been a substantial expansion, I think, in the budget for the Pacific and also for um, uh, the Asian countries. Uh, Australia some time ago sort of pulled out of really doing much in the way of development assistance in Africa. So our focus is very much within our region. Um, and, you know, Australia needs to react not just in official development assistance. It needs to react in terms of market opening. There's some interesting mm. developments on the Pacific labour market providing opportunities, which is a win-win, right? Yeah. So we need the workers and they need the jobs. So yeah. that one's a win-win. And the economic integration is great for stability and great for, uh, you know, predictability in terms yeah. of the region. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of good things, but there's also risks there yeah. too, which is, you know, countries like Samoa are getting worried about, losing their prime age people who they need there mm, to, yeah. to be. So, you know, nothing's ever straightforward. This is the challenge. Budgets, you know, budget highlights are really just the beginning of the, you know, they're sort of like the the overarching framework and then it's you go through the budget documents and the really interesting things in them are all those, you know, like charts and, you know, once you get into the details of things, that's what starts getting really interesting in them. And I haven't had a chance to crawl through it yet, so Chalmers, I don't know what's uh, there. Chalmers at the press club used the term, and I think it was unfortunate, Mark, he used this term because the last person who used it was Tony Abbott. Uh, he said um, the adults are in charge. Well, it's not the first time. <laughs> I, I, I thought you might be about to reference that. That He's actually used that a number of times. And in fact, he said it in the press conference in, in the lockup yesterday. Uh, he said it was among the uh, the best, uh, you know, most favourable things that you know, could be said. He was very flattered by the suggestion. Yeah. And I think Michelle Grattan, your colleague at The Conversation, has pointed out that perhaps this might be better dropped because, yes, that was something that uh, the Abbott government used to say a lot of. Um but look, I, I want to come to Chalmers, actually. I'm glad you raised him because uh, it is a new treasurer. It is a new government. It is a 
but a second budget in within the year, which is you know an odd thing, and it is a budget very much of its own character, as I think we've we've all discussed. Into you know certainly not a big spending budget. It's a it's a budget that is constrained, and I wanted to raise it in the context of something that's mentioned in his speech, which where he makes the point that we're on the cusp of a third global downturn in in a decade, roughly or a dozen years. Um, whatever it is, since 2008. It's a bit more than a dozen years. And uh, I, I thought about that. I thought about that in political terms as well as economic terms, right? Because uh, when Wayne Swan and Kevin Rudd were confronted by the GFC, Rudd had just won an election declaring himself to be a greater fiscal conservative than John Howard, which was, you know, took a bit of hutzpah, but he did it. Uh, and uh, he had won. And and they were going to run a very disciplined program. The idea was they were moving back into surplus and, and all of this kind of thing. And then the GFC happens, right? Global financial crisis. Yes, the, the, yeah, known as uh, as the um, the great the great recession, the great recession in the rest of the, world. Rest of the world. Yeah, and uh, and so the advice that came to him from Treasury was, you know, stimulate, go go hard, go early, go households, uh, and and make, and start doing it quickly. You've got to gird the economy against you know these these um, uh, headwinds coming from from the rest of the world. And while we might say that was a bit inconvenient for what they were what they'd said they would do, it was the right policy at the right time and they had the capacity to do it and they did it. It wasn't, while it might have been different from what they said they were going to do, it wasn't going to make them immediately unpopular. No politician minds handing someone a check. Scroll forward then to the, the next one, which is essentially the big COVID uh, crash, and the same thing happens, right? The, same the advice, they took it. Just yeah. after they'd said yeah. they get the budget back That's in the right. black. Same department, exactly. They got the same mugs. advice, yeah. same people. They yep. took it. That's right, and they've got the mugs. You know, the back in black mugs. Everything's predicated on this idea we're about to deliver surpluses after Labor's abandon it. Yeah, and they had to spend, and they put in more than three hundred billion dollars into the economy. Uh, really extraordinary stimulus. Uh, some of it more effective than others, but that was that's always the case. Then we get to this one, right? And we have very dire circumstances that we've just been talking about, and. Chalmers doesn't have that confluence of what would be politically popular with what would be economically um, effective in terms of save, salvaging the economy because to spend now, which is what people are, have become very used to through the pandemic in particular, you know, the idea of the government stepping in and giving them direct relief, to do that now adds to inflation. So he's of the three of them he's in this situation where he has to show discipline right at the moment when the people the labor party traditionally represents are among the hardest hit by the downturn i just wanted well he has an escape card um you're right that's that's the that's the box he's he's put in yeah he can't uh, you know and hasn't uh, spent more now this might change by uh, you know it might change in a heartbeat it might be that the economy really is at risk of turning down and then he'll need to spend and the reserve bank will need to cut interest rates but at the moment he's in that box can't spend uh, the budget in my Many decades of covering budgets, I've never seen one that explicitly factors in a retail electricity price and quotes it or a retail gas price. Um, they deliberately put those forecasts in, a 20% electricity price rise this year, followed by 30%, which uh, through the mathematics of compounding adds up to 56%. And there is some suggestion today at that, press, at that lunch that, uh, that it may even be an underestimate. Uh, yes, uh, well, yeah, because uh, it's uh, it's an average. So, um, that, so they put that in to scare people, and he's said, "Look, I can do nothing about this right now. I'm going to look at doing something about it. In that case, there'll be regulatory means. He doesn't want to mm. uh, spell out what they are. But um, there's something else he can do, and this is when he refers to the conversation with the Australian people. Yeah, sure, he can't increase net spending, but what he can do is increase tax." Now, basically what he has said is we've got a lot of needs. You know, hopefully we can sort out the national disability insurance scheme so it doesn't increase quite as fast and there's an inquiry, uh, you know, with people living with disabilities actually running the inquiry that's uh, going to deal with that. But um, that's going to increase uh, in price. Uh, we're going to pay aged care workers more. We've said we are as soon as the Fair Work Commission says. Uh, there's the results of a separate disability royal commission. Um, there are all sorts of demands on the budget, increasing new start, which is now once again, you know, insanely low. 
So, or I think they call it job seeker now. So there's all sorts of demands on the budget. And he said, I want a conversation about how we can do the things we will want to do. And he's got a year, he's got two years uh, before the election. And I think what he wants to come out of that is, look, we've got all these demands. I'm sorry, I can't meet them. But if we increase another tax, probably won't be the GST. It's a bit difficult. Um, and it goes to the states and all yeah, that. It's yeah, it's a bit difficult to do that. But um, there are all sorts of other, there are taxes on superannuation, there are all sorts of things that could be adjusted. That way I can help you. And he's almost setting up this, um, as he says, honest conversation with the Australian people saying, you want more? Uh, support me in providing more. Otherwise, I won't be able to. Mm. Let's talk about what you want. I think it is, it is about time that we start having open conversations about the 2% gap between what we think we want to pay in taxes and what yeah. we think we want to spend on What is it, American-style tax system and Scandinavian-style demands? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a very interesting one. You know, they said, oh, well, the Australian, I think, recently did a survey and said, well, you know, people would rather juice expenditure than increase taxes. But always reduce somebody else's expenditure, yes, not the exactly. expenditure that they benefit from. No, don't touch yeah. my franking credits. Yeah, that's, uh, that's right. You know, well, that's, and that's, a, what, that's by a, the way, a tax thing rather than an expenditure thing, but you've got that there. You know? The disability thing is, is um, has happened because it cuts completely across that usual someone else. Anyone could be made disabled or their child could be disabled uh at any minute, there's no there's no way of insurance. It's an insurance scheme. No way of insuring yourself against that. Um, and so, uh, but generally, yeah, we like to say, oh, well, you know, don't support what don't support job seekers because I won't be unemployed. Yeah, and it's one of the problems. So universal schemes of that nature that everybody benefits from are much more popular. But we means test. Australia's unusual in means testing so many of the benefits that we have, and it's that intersect with the benefit with the, the the means-tested schemes and the tax system that I think is where this government needs to go to kind of look at that intersect so that they're sort of saying, well, you know, it's not so much why was this, you know, the statutory tax cuts with a very large 30%, you know, sort of from I think 49000 up to 180000 to, you know, there is progressivity but the progressivity is on the payment side. Right. So it's when does your child, what does your childcare benefit do relative to your family income? What do your family payments do relative to your family income? Hmm. For people who are on a mix of income and, you know, subsidies of some other form, you know, sort of transfer payments, you know, how do they phase out as your income goes up? I mean, pension is one of the big issues there is that, you know, they won't work more than a certain amount because, yeah, yeah. you know, their pensions, you, lose your pension, yeah. you start losing, you know, 50 cents in the dollar and of the your pension. Had a measure which is in a, the budget to help with that, but for yeah. two years only. But, it's a very yeah. high marginal tax rate, right? Mm, mm. And but is a flat rate on the on the and that's always on been the, the problem with tax childcare. side. The right way to go about, you know, sort of getting rid of those very high effective marginal tax rates. I think, by the way, you I know? think that that stage three tax cut that you're describing, I, I I don't think that's done and dusted. I think that that will be part of the conversation he wants to have. I think it has to be. Well, has he to be. explicitly made it so. Yes. Uh, but having said, like, uh, oh, you know, And then well, the, the, the Prime Minister almost said, oh, well, not now, just, just yeah. keep well, quite about but, it. But, but that's, that's my point in a sense, though, right? So the thing kind of squalls up as an idea in the in the weeks before this budget was delivered and then is kind of deflated, right? Um, uh, and, and, and word goes out that there won't be anything in this budget in relation to rolling back stage three. Um but it was definitively not definitively closed off, if I can put it like that. Mm. Um, it wasn't like suddenly ruled out. No, that's that's you know LAW law to to, to quote it was a pre- only ruled out for this budget. Yeah. Now, having said that, I think if you look at the political arithmetic, it's, it's extraordinarily hard to imagine Anthony Albanese agreeing to changing this stage three tax cut. I think. You know, my reading of him uh, is that he's very awake to the sort of the trust issue that was associated with the last election, the idea of governments, you know, sticking to their promises um, and and not just doing something which would be sort of highly predictable in a way, you know, um, just sort of getting past the election and then changing everything. That said, there may be other ways in which this can be addressed. Now, one of them and it seems to be like a sort of a third rail in Australian politics, and yet it has been used. And the last time it was used, it was used by 
the other side of politics, and I'm thinking of the 2014 budget, which uh, introduced a temporary deficit levy. Now, that's a progressive way of clawing back some of that money. Could you could could they look at some mechanism like that, for example, a temporary budget repair well, mechanism? Well, part of the stage three tax cuts is also the higher than the 180 ones, right? But you know. First of all, I don't like calling everything a levy because if you are also a foreigner and you pay taxes, they don't consider levies taxes and so you get taxed on the income that you've paid on your levy So, in, under some tax regime. So, you know, calling things levy is a, just a it's – just, it's a tax. Call it a tax, you know. <laughs> John, <laughs> the last John time I had, had so many levies, it had a milk levy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I know. Just, just be honest about it. Taxes. Call them a They're even building levies now. But no, yeah. and, and some of them are just proportional, you know, so uh, yeah. so they're not um, – they don't – the rate doesn't rise as the income rises, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but what you've got to do is we do have to do something about bracket creep particularly when you've got nominal wages going up much higher, big faster, but real wages going backwards, right? And so, you know, something about giving back So in other words, you creep into the next income uh, that's always brackets, been an issue. right, and, and you get taxed at that level, that was, but your, buying, your purchasing power hasn't gone up. Yeah, your purchasing yeah. power's actually gone down. Yeah, and what yeah. they could do is say, look, stage three, all of it, 200-odd billion of it, all of it, in the budget, spent. No problem. It's there. We're just going to change the design of it. Exactly. So we help the people below 100,000. Yep. yep. And uh, we don't give people, which is, to say it out loud, it is um, just unfathomable. So we don't give people on $200,000 dollars. Um, and and by the way, which is worth double that to them because of the tax rate, right? Mm. So, I mean, um, so, so, okay, we're still spending the money. We're changing it to help people who might need it more. And besides which, how can you possibly defend what's at the top end? Maybe they could do that. The other thing they need to do is really get into looking at all the sort of the means tested at thresholds and how those means tested thresholds interact with the progressive tax rate it's so system. Fiddly, so fiddly, though. So much work. It's so well, fiddly. But, that's why you know, I'm... that's the job of government, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, you know, the job of government. And you you do actually have people in the public service capable of working this stuff out, okay? Yeah. And, and this, this you've government just got to use them. Yeah, this government know? actually believes in them. I mean, yeah. uh, Chalmers was um, very generous in his praise of Treasury and finance officials, officials and, and everyone involved in the ERC process. and Expenditure uh, Review Committee. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Can, can I make one quick point? Because yes. it's something that nobody I've, in the commentating I've heard of has really mentioned is the indexation of the different payments that we have. And so, you know, the the, the it's not called Job Seeker, it's called, what is it? New, new, new Start. It's called Job the Seeker new, now. Yeah. It is yeah, called Job called, Seeker. I thought called, it was yeah, gone to Job around. Seeker, yeah. Um, so Job Seeker is indexed to... CPI, right? Consumer price CPI, and that's always been the challenge, right? Because wages had been rising faster than CPI. So were. job were, right, had been, right? So job seeker was shrinking as, you know, Against relative other wages, to other yeah. wages. Yeah. Pensions, on the other hand, have been indexed to wages. It's actually they're indexed to the higher of both. Yeah. So that they, they, oh, well, there you go. Well. So they're in good shape, right? And so the interesting question will actually be about the consumption bundles of the people who are on job seeker or on pensions and are they actually so that, so if you have disproportionately buying things that have gone up more in price because low income people's budgets mean that they've spent more on transport and energy and they do spend more and, on and electricity rent, yeah and certainly rent hmm. um, and so the extent to which those are going up faster so these are the sorts of questions that you can start we've got the data now you used to do simple indexing cuz we didn't have the data to do it cleverly. But we've got data now where you can actually start designing indexes that much better allow people to maintain the purchasing power of a of a, a fixed income than we had before in a way that's much more sort of beneficial to those particular groups. It's not as good as, you know, just it doesn't address that is just the the whole relativity too low, mm. but at least you start then building in some consistency in, in terms of cost of living for these people. That would be a cheap way of doing something and making a nod to uh, people who are on the appallingly low unemployment benefit 
to have been saying, well, we're um, we're starting. Um, you know, from now on, we'll be paying attention to what's likely to be your expenses. Yeah. All right. Look, we're going to have to. We're getting very close to time, but I, I, there's just one. We could sort go of, on forever, man. Yeah, we could. Yeah, we could. We could. We could. And and I'm enjoying this, but um, there is one thing I want to. A couple of things I want to come to. First, I just want to get a sense of uh, whether you think how you think Chalmers went. Just a, a little assessment from both both of you in terms of. The change in atmosphere, you know, he, uh, as, as you said, he's uh, talking about uh, a conversation. He's he said today, I think that he, he'd, he'd prefer to be blunt rather than polished in his messaging, you know, talk, talk in ways, talk up to people rather than talk down to them. Uh, there is, I think, uh, um, my, my impression was that he is, he's a very good explainer. You know, he's a storyteller in the kind of Costello and, and Keating, an economic storyteller. Uh, and I think, you know, he, he's, Doing it very well. He's a very good communicator. So I'm just interested in your thoughts about how he came across and uh, whether he can make this conversation that he's talking about actually happen. He's certainly working for people like, well, us, I suppose, in the room, and probably people who are listening to this podcast as well. Mm. Right? Yes, they'll they'll listen and will communicate. The issue is how much he's getting reach beyond that. So yeah. is he hitting the telegraph readers? And are the journalists who are writing in the Telegraph and the like, who are communicating, are they, do they buy in to this mm, or yeah. are they going to kind of put a spin on, oh, there he goes again, you know, gloom and doom, mister. And mm. some of, some of the, um, the, the, the front pages and the, you know, how they always have those wonderful mashup front pages mm. with, you know, cartoons, <laughs> cartoons and things. I, I, I don't know any, I don't think any had him as the Grinch, but, you know, it's kind of the Grinch who stole Christmas. But, but the, in a sense, uh, that's what was quite clever about it. It, it had, it was, a, I thought it was a bit of an oil and water budget in this sense that it's got all of these grim forebodings in it, but Chalmers himself had quite an upbeat sort of delivery and and was telling a story about a future Australia that that he thinks we can get to if we are prepared to change some of these things and even change the way we do politics and it didn't it didn't have that sort of um you know quite the doom and gloom that in fact the words that he spoke at least the words that he spoke in his official speech tabling the budget suggested so you know i think that's an exercise in pretty effective communication yeah He's the best communicator, one of the best communicators I've seen. Mm. Which is not bad for someone with a PhD in economics, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Well, he's got, <laughs> his, his PhD is actually... He also studied uh, communication in his ah, first degree. Right. Yeah. So maybe maybe there is it. something in communication. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, but uh, he's in, of course, a honeymoon period. Yeah. Everyone, me, you, you, we all want to think the best of him. And he's saying, give me time. I'm going to have this conversation. I'm going to work it out what to do. I'll work out what to do about electricity. And, uh, you know, we, everyone will give him time. Yeah. In two years' time, we might have a very different judgment of Chalmers because by then he won't merely be holding open the possibility of all of the things he might do. He will have had to actually made decisions and, you know, they mightn't be decisions that everyone likes. So it, it, it's this glorious sort of, you know, you, when you fall in love with someone, you sort of- <laughs> Let's not get think, carried away. You think she or he or whatever, you think, gee, you know, they're, they're, they're really interesting and there's all sorts of possibilities. Eventually you discover, myself excluded, of course, but, but eventually you discover <laughs> that, you know, that they're, they're, uh, those things are actually reduced down to one or two specific things and there's no longer the possibility. Right now we've got- all sorts of possibilities, and I think people are sort of, um, uh, you know, prepared to extend him uh, the benefit of the doubt for a yeah, while. Yeah, and I think Jenny's point's right. We don't really know how he's resonating beyond the kind of, you know, the the those people who are quite closely watching politics and economics. Um, that will be uh, something we'll only know over time. But certainly, in terms of calmness and and clarity. Um, I haven't seen a first budget performance any better than that. And I thought Frydenberg was pretty good, frankly. I thought Frydenberg was a pretty good communicator as well. But uh, yes, and, and when I think back to Wayne Swan, for example, who Jim Chalmers was chief of staff for, Swan didn't have, Swan seemed, you know, he seemed, you could feel the pressure around Swan, but you just don't sort of get that from Chalmers. Perhaps um, uh, that will hold him in good stead down the track. Now, this is the final thing I'm going to ask you, and it's we're going to have to be quite quick about it. 
what does Dutton do now? I mean, like, how does he frame his position now? Does he does he sort of think about, oh, well, I'm going to be sort of Tony Abbott and oppose everything, or does he keep his powder dry? He's doing a mixed, yeah. He's, uh, after the budget, he said we'll support certain things, we'll won't support others. He's saying we would be more generous. And by the way, it's very easy to believe that's true because that, that's been – you know, the, the coalition has been much keener to give away money to, uh, uh, you know, support people with energy prices and uh, mm. all sorts of things. Um, whether he would be, um, I, I, yeah, I think he's, he's saying, yeah, yeah, we support looking at the NDIS. We would have preferred you were more generous. Uh, I, I think it's fairly easy to be him because he can um, – just disagree at the margins without having to do anything. The truth is that no one pays much attention to oppositions just after a, a government's change. Yeah, fair point. Jenny? We'll, we'll look at him in two years' time maybe. I, I would really like to see, and, and he signalled this, that to cooperate on things where there is agreement and that there is a reasonably decent-sized band of agreement. And I yeah. think just to see that when you look at compared to the U.S., where hmm. the Republicans who will probably win the House are going to oppose everything Biden wants to do because they don't want Biden to be successful. But Biden being successful is Americans benefiting. So it always seems to me really weird that you would have, you know, an opposing party that doesn't care. It's like cut off your nose to spite your face. It's insane. I mean, it's, it's nuts. It, it, it's <laughs> like, and, and perhaps it proves that the more you wave the flag, the crazier you are. Because it we weren't like that in no. the COVID crisis or in the global financial yeah, crisis. Right. On the whole, yeah. the opposition was saying, well, actually, they were saying, we'll get out of the way, but they weren't opposing. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. And that look, bodes well for Australia's future, actually. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, look, it's been terrific having this discussion post-budget. Uh, we've gone longer than we should have. Uh, for those of you who have stuck with us all the way, really appreciate it, and I'm, I'm sure you've enjoyed it like I have. Thanks to Dr Jenny Gordon and to Peter Martin. Uh, that's Democracy Sausage for this week. Thank you. Thank you very See much. See you next time. And uh, we'll be back next week, metronomically as usual, back to every week. Sorry about last week. Bye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.